And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mauk and Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mauk and Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauk, and today we're going to talk to Mary Holland Fiorito, an attorney, public speaker, and commentator on issues involving women's leadership and pro-life advocacy. I'm an attorney and partner at the law firm Malkin Baker in Chicago. We're followers of Jesus, all the attorneys here, that focus on serving the body of Messiah with its legal needs. We do everything from zoning to estate planning, nonprofit administration, and protection of religious freedom. You can find out more about us by going to maukbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com or call 312-726-1243. Mary Holland Fiorito currently serves as the Cardinal Francis George Visiting Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, a leading conservative and pro-life advocacy group in Washington, D.C. We are blessed with her presence in Illinois this week as she will tackle controversial and current issues. This Friday, July 27th, at Lake County's Right to Life Benefit Banquet at the Doubletree in Mundelein, Illinois. Registration is free, but you must RSVP. You can go to the website lcrtl.org. That's lakecountyrighttolife.org and RSVP for this Friday's night banquet. It's free. Mary, welcome to our show. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Can you give us a preview of what you'll be discussing uh, this Friday at the Doubletree in the Lake County uh, Benefit? Yeah, Lake County Right to Life. Yeah, sure, John. Um, I'm happy to do that. What I'm going to be focusing my remarks are on are sort of a kind of current state of affairs of the pro-life movement and the opportunities that are present to us in the uh, current climate and, you know, going over some of the recent victories that we've had, particularly the Supreme Court decision in the Nisla case. And I'm going to discuss a little bit about the Masterpiece uh, Bake Shop case and how we can, in Illinois and beyond, you know, expect that those decisions will help the pro-life movement, um, you know, to continue to uh, create and enact laws that will save lives and will save women from years of regret and heartbreak and will build us up into a community where we truly, you know, respect and protect all human life from conception to natural death. Well, let's, uh, let's start with the basics for some people who, who may not be there and be listening. Uh, why is abortion wrong? Is it? Oh, well, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it's the greatest human rights injustice of our age. I think um, when you can, when you take into account the number of lives that have been lost, Um, the number of innocent human lives who have been taken from us, the number of women who have been damaged and in some cases uh, killed um, through the, you know, practices of abortion providers who are unscrupulous. Uh, I think we just need to look at the whole situation in Philadelphia with Dr. Kermit Gosnell, who's now serving three consecutive life sentences for killing three different women in his clinic. Um, You know, the abortion legacy is a mess. 
it's a mess. Well, let's talk about the legacy. Yeah, let's talk about that legacy for a a second. Because Harry Blackman, who wrote the Roe versus Wade opinion, said, we don't really know when life begins. And, and of course, if there's no life, then then, uh, what's the issue? But we interviewed right. Joe well, Scheidler, yeah. Scheidler a, a few months ago, and he said there is now a broad scientific and biological consensus, medical consensus, that life begins at conception. Is this Correct. changing I mean, attitudes right. or impacting right. well, laws? You know, it, it's interesting because I think for some people, they would just rather keep you know blinders on and not acknowledge that what you have with the conceptus is both human and alive. You look at any basic embryology textbook, and you will see that science has really, as you mentioned, Joe pointed out, science has concluded this universally. You can't be a little bit alive. You can't be a little bit dead. Okay? You're one or the other. So life that is human begins at the moment of conception. Nothing will be added, um, you know, in, in terms of that person's genetic makeup after the point of conception to make him or her any different. But all you have from the moment of conception forward is development and growth. So you are who you are. You were who you were at the moment you were conceived. And so we take that that scientific knowledge and we go from there with the human rights argument, right? That says that we don't discriminate against different human lives because of their size, because of their state of dependency, because of the place of residence, even if that happens to be their mother's womb. Or or gender, I might add. In some nations, uh, abortion is prevalent with one gender or the other. Correct. And, and that's why we see in China, for example, 30 million more men than there are women currently among, in the population. And if you don't think that it's causing social problems in China, uh, family problems, moral problems, you have, you know, parents, elderly parents now who have their, their sole son who cannot find a wife anywhere. And um, it's, it's heartbreakingly sad. And, but, you know, what's important for your listeners to understand is that sex selection abortion is completely legal in the United States. There's nothing that prohibits a woman from aborting an unborn child because he is male or because she is female. There's absolutely nothing in the law that would prohibit that. So if people think that, you know, the law here is somehow more, you know, compassionate and understanding or or reasonable, it's none of those things. (laughs) Yeah, we have have to have some uh, humility before we talk about other people because uh, our own house is not in order. What you said about uh, sex identification is is interesting because does that basically come from ultrasound or are there other ways of determining uh, well, yeah, the my gender of a baby? Yeah, no, generally the sex of the baby is determined through an ultrasound exam and that can be done usually quite early, by 12 weeks certainly. Um, you can generally tell, uh, you can certainly tell if the baby's a boy fairly easily. Sometimes, you know, you'll have an umbilical cord that might be, you know, in a place that it shouldn't be, and you'll have someone diagnosed as a boy who was a girl or vice versa. But um, but in general, ultrasound is so advanced now that you can determine that uh, fairly, fairly and, soon on in the pregnancy. And, and tell us how ultrasound is impacting the decision whether to uh, carry oh, a child goodness. to term. Or- yeah, this has been a wonderful, wonderful thing for the, the pro-life movement to be able to have that window to the womb, if you will, for moms to be able to see their babies, um, not only at younger and younger gestational ages, but also it was such specificity. I mean, when I, my eldest is almost 17 now, and 
you know, my first ultrasounds, well, you know, I thought they were beautiful and clear and I could see her little face and everything. Now, my goodness, we've gone from those one-dimensional kind of gray pictures to 4D ultrasounds. Well, you can see the baby in 4D dimension and see them waving, see them sucking their thumbs. Um, I, I have the privilege of serving on the board of a pregnancy center called Aid for Women in Chicago, and we were gifted by the Knights of Columbus, which is a Catholic fraternal organization, with ultrasound machines for each of our five pregnancy centers. And I can't tell you the number of women who, when they see that picture and they see that heart beating at 18 days, they, they make another choice altogether the one that they intended to make when they come into our centers. So, it's Amen. A- Amen. Yeah. Amen. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Malk of the law firm of Malk and Baker. Today, we're speaking with Mary Holland Fiorito of the Ethics and Public Policy Center about her experience being a voice for pro-life interests and women all over America. And um, uh, Mary is an attorney. I guess we didn't say that before. You're particularly concerned with legal developments. Uh, tell us what's been happening on the legal front. Well, we had a wonderful decision, and, and slightly surprising to me, um, on uh, in from the Supreme Court on the Nifla versus Becerra case, which was a case that came out of California but has some pretty significant implications for people in Illinois as well. It was based on a, a state law that the California legislature passed called the FACT Act, which was something, I think the acronym is like Freedom of Access to Comprehensive Knowledge or something like that. They called it the FACT Act. But essentially what it was, was a government mandate from the state of California that all pregnancy centers, uh, whether or not they were medical centers or not, had to essentially advertise for the abortion industry and had to put disclaimers on all of their materials, all of their um, you know, billboards, for example, all of their advertisements they might take in a newspaper, that they were not an abortion clinic and that the state of California would provide women in most cases with a free abortion if she wanted one. So it was a government-compelled speech. Um, pregnancy center workers would have been forced to tell women uh, the minute they walked in the door before they could even begin a conversation about uh, California's uh, free abortion services and where they could get them. So essentially it was this government-compelled speech case which was rather, you know, terrifying in its, in its, its the extent to which it was being applied. Well, this was just uh, important not only for pro-life and helping the pregnancy centers, but it impacts uh, free speech rights across the nation in every other area. Oh, absolutely. Too. And if this right, and what and what the the uh, government of California, the state attorney tried to argue was that there was a kind of a class of speech he called professional speech and that this wasn't the government regulating speech kind of broadly. So it it didn't impact the first amendment. Really all it was, was the government creating a class of speech called professional speech, which means if you were speaking as a person in the medical profession or in the pregnancy health profession, then the government uh, could step in and mandate what you could say and not say. And the Supreme Court just rejected this wholesale particular argument. But there is no such thing. Interestingly enough, the the same issue has arisen in counseling for unwanted same-sex attractions. And we're going to be talking about that and uh, talking more with uh, Mary Holland Fiorito when we come back about the NIFLA decision, the masterpiece 
Cake Baker decision and what they mean for you and religious liberty. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm John Mauck, partner of the law firm Mauck and Baker, and we're talking with Mary Holland Fiorito, a passionate advocate for human life issues, especially dealing with abortion and legal issues because uh, she's a lawyer. And this week, this Friday, actually, July 27th, she'll be speaking at the Lake County Right to Life Banquet in uh, Libertyville, Mundelein area at the Hilton Hotel. Uh, the cost is zero. You can go, but you've got to register. Uh, go to the Lake County Right to Life dot org website and register and go to hear her uh mary before the break we were talking about the nifla decision uh which in which the supreme court uh overruled uh, and declared invalid the california law that required uh, pregnancy centers to inform uh, women where they could get an abortion uh, there was another major decision. Uh, I think it was the same week, the Masterpiece Cake decision. How does that affect the pro-life and the religious liberty issues that you deal with? Well, you know, what the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision will do is, is to, I hope, assure people of faith that no matter what business that they're in, no matter what their particular profession is, they do not have to check their religious beliefs at the door when they go to work every day. And in the Masterpiece Cake decision, it, it was narrow because it really does apply more or less only to Jack Phillips, who was the baker from Colorado, who refused to bake a cake, a wedding cake, create a custom wedding cake for a same-sex couple. And it really does apply only to him. However, the court has also sent back a case uh, from a florist in Oregon who was asked by a gay couple whom she knew quite well and who had been her longtime customers to create custom floral arrangements for their wedding, and they sued her. And that case was also on its way up to the Supreme Court, but it was uh, vacated. The decision of the Oregon State Supreme Court was vacated and sent back to Oregon with instructions from the federal Supreme Court to revisit their decision in light of the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision. So I think that looks very positive for uh, the woman who is the florist from Oregon. And... Um, and, and certainly for Jack Phillips, who I believe lost 40% of his business because he had to stop doing wedding cakes altogether. Yeah, we, we applauded that decision and uh, uh, helped with uh, Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, where you, both you and I are, are allied attorneys with them, a nationwide organization of attorneys who follow Jesus and want religious liberty and uh, civil liberties to, to be expanded. And uh, now we're seeing that. But yet there seems to be a lot of fear in our nation about the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh, that this mm -hmm. will be the end of civil liberties. Uh, how do you yeah. see that? Oh, my goodness. I, I see it with exactly the opposite. I mean, Justice Kavanaugh's appointment, I think, was frankly a very conciliatory move by President Trump. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh um, was, of course, a former clerk to Justice Kennedy, whose seat, if he is if confirmed, he will be taking. Um, and he is a very measured man. He is a very well-respected jurist. And 
certainly you can't find, even people who would disagree with his judicial philosophy, uh, you won't find among them one who would disparage him personally, who would say he is not a very careful uh, scholar legally, a careful legal scholar. He is um, very painstaking in his analysis of of uh, case law. And so, you know, and there's, my goodness, I think at least 15 years of his uh, track record to go back and analyze and decisions he has written, et cetera. Uh, so he has a very long um, history of contributions to um, to the legal community in, in the D.C. area primarily. But um, this was not sort of what I like to call a flamethrower choice, right? This was not somebody who would have been seen as a cultural uh, warrior or a, a cultural firebrand. He, President Trump, made a very, very safe and, and I think legally sound choice in Justice Kavanaugh or Judge Kavanaugh, rather. I hope to be justice. Um, and I, I think his confirmation hearings, you know, we'll hear the usual hysteria from senators on the left who will, will try to mislead the public into thinking Roe versus Wade is about to be overturned and abortion is going to be illegal if Judge Kavanaugh is. Uh, confirmed, but uh, that is certainly not the case. I don't even know, I mean, you may know uh, more than I, John, if there's a case in the hopper right now that would even present, you know, an indirect challenge to Roe, much less a direct one. Well, no, I, I don't think I don't think there is, and I, I don't really think the issue is Roe versus Wade other than as a moral issue. As uh, yes. most of our listeners know, if Roe versus Wade were uh, overturned tomorrow, Abortion would still be legal in Illinois and and in most states. And there are uh, morning after pills that cause abortion that are, are going to be difficult to regulate. So the the pro life movement seems to me to be moving in the area of of ultrasound and uh, chastity education. And uh, you probably haven't heard about Quiwan. That's Q I Y U A N. The Quiwan movement or Quiwan Day, which is celebrating mm -hmm. the, the day that people are conceived and making that oh, yes. a, a new, yeah. new type of birthday. Uh, yeah. For our listeners, they can go to quiwanday.com and find out all about that and, and sign up because we can change the culture. And right. all of these right. ultrasound and, and uh, chastity education, they're about changing the culture and helping people see Wow, these are babies. This is my sister. This is my child. Yeah. This is my yeah. grandchild. And, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. And, well, and, and I think, too, along with that, when you mentioned chastity education, something that I'm also very interested in and I, I try to speak about as much as I can is reconnecting in the minds and hearts of Americans the, the connection between sex and marriage and children. Um, you know, when the whole same-sex marriage debate became, became you know, um, moving up towards the federal court, it was interesting to see that the government now sort of looking at marriage as really just a private, consensual, sexual relationship between two adults with complete disregard for children. And when, in fact, the government really only got involved in marriage in the first place in order to legally bind um, parents to their children and legally hold them responsible for their care and their upbringing. The government doesn't and shouldn't, in my opinion, really care who you love and who you don't love. I, mean, I think that's not any of the government's business, who your romantic relationships are. So to, to reconnect in people's heads that, you know, that, that marriage and children and sex all go together, I think is critical. When you look at some of the research that's coming out, there's a sociologist at the University of Texas named Mark Rignaris 
who has an excellent book that came out, I would recommend it to your listeners, called Cheap Sex, where he looks at the current mating and marriage market, and particularly how it is affecting young women. So, for example, back in the day when you were courting your wife, John, my guess is, you know, you had to do a little bit of work to get her interested in you, right? You had to take her out to dinner. You had to buy her flowers. You had to court her, right? And, and But the, the marriage and mating market has been so... Um, changed now, partially because of the wide availability of easy birth control, partially because of the wide availability of porn, that in this Rignaris book, in his studies, and again, he's not a religious scholar necessarily, he's at the University of Texas, right? He has found that among current relationships of, I think, the thousand or so, 20 and 30-somethings he interviewed, 30% of them became sexually active before they started dating. So their relation, I mean, let that sink in, 30%. Women now feel like in order to enter into the dating market, they have to sleep with men just to get them to ask them out on dates. 30% of women said that they needed to do that. So think of the shift that that is culturally. And so you have now men who don't have to do a whole lot in order to get women to, you know, uh, have access to sex. And they really don't have to work at all. And in fact, it's the women now who have to give over that particular part of themselves just to get a guy to date them and to get them to marry. This is why they say the cohabitation rate is so high. Yeah, one of the aspects of that that's that's troubling has been the increase in male homosexuality, meaning there's yeah. f- uh, fewer partners for women, and that uh, uh, creates a disparity also in, in the market. Yeah. If you look at well, uh, Reg, Reg Neris's study, uh, that's R-E-G-N-E-R-U-S, uh, on the internet, he's done a study called familystructures.com, which I also mm. highly recommend because it's an it's an interactive web page that talks about the effect of children uh, from different marriages and right. and how uh, how destructive that can be uh, when we yeah, don't absolutely. focus on on children in our family law and our adoption and foster care uh, uh, issues. Uh, kids, are, we're, we're selling them down the road. Exactly. And family law has become far more parent-centered than it is child-centered. And yeah, a, the, the, the a, rights amen. and the needs of the children yeah, have not have not been paramount. And we are seeing the, the devastating effects of that now. Mary, thank you for speaking with us today. How can people uh, hear more about your work? Well, you can go to the website of the Ethics and Public Policy Center, and that's at www.e ppc.org. Uh, you can also uh, just Google my name and you'll see articles that I've written for National Review and other publications. Or if people like, they are more than welcome to come and hear me on Friday night at Lake County at the Lake County Right to Life dinner. And if you just Google Lake County Right to Life, you'll be taken right to a link where you can register. Again, there's no charge for the meal, but they do need to know if you're coming so that they'll have a meal ready for you. Awesome. If you have a legal need, or a question, and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Malkin Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or malkbaker.com. That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, a law firm of attorneys who are believers serving the body of Messiah. We'll give you a free consultation. Our guest today has been... Mary Holland Fiorito. Mary, thank you for being with us. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. No,
gonna have to serve somebody Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody 